0: All right. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it. It's like, whenever we talk about... Whenever somebody mentioned Zach Williams, I think about the men's conference we did last year. And uh, we went there. I remember Zach talking about... Um, uh, he was talking about some hard times when the pandemic started because you know when you he was saying that when you lead a band you feel like you're responsible for now like the well-being like the careers of these people who are following you uh and not just the band members but like the roadies and everybody and uh he said he can remember um you know he was sitting here and he's talking to his wife and just you know kind of Lamenting and worrying about, you know, how bad things were going to be when everything was shutting down. And, um, and he said, I just I just don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I just, I, I kind of feel like I'm, I kind of feel like I'm just like scared for a long time, you know. And uh, he says, his wife looked at him and said, well, you're always singing all these songs about, you know, not fearing and not, not letting fear take hold of what you know God's called you to do and being confident that he has a plan. And what what about all that? And he said, yeah, that, I don't know. That all sounds really hard, <laughs> and that, so it's it's harder to. Sometimes it's easier to you know talk about these things than it is to actually live them out. Um, but uh, transition. I know that um, one of the things that is interesting though is looking at you know how people react to their faith in conjunction with like the world around them. And I guess what I mean by that is. A lot of people love the idea for whatever reason. I mean, it's, it's, it's I don't know when it started. I want to opine on, on on how it started, but at some point in time, people decided in like American culture that they were going to be on board with the idea of like being oppressed. And I guess I mean that as in like it's almost kind of popular to be oppressed. You know, it's 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 the irony in. You know, when it comes to having so many different groups of people and classes of people and whatnot who, you know, all want to claim victimhood at some point in time, that you start realizing that because you're a part of some group that's being held down by the man. you you kind of instantly have buddies. You know, you instantly have a sense of community because you're part of this protected group or part of this 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 uh, uh, collective of people that everybody agrees like you're being oppressed, you're being hurt. Um, and I think what this has led to because people see that there is a sense of community and being a part of a group that is you know held down, it's led to different groups that maybe aren't really being held down popping up and saying, oh, I'm i'm being i'm being oppressed too um if you're if you're a uh fan of, of the Monty Python quest for the Holy Grail, which is exactly what Ryan was thinking about. He's smirking, and I knew he was thinking about it, so I had to say it. It's, it's the whole, like, when, when you have like King Arthur, and he's holding up this guy because he's talking about democracy and saying, like, what do you mean you're a king? I didn't vote for you. And start saying that, you know, they need to have a democracy, and as soon as they start grabbing him and shaking him and saying, shut up, shut up, he goes, help, help, I'm being repressed. It's <laughs> a <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so many people who want to be that that individual who's 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 screaming like help help i'm being repressed um and you know christians are the exact same way and it's it's It is kind of funny, but it's kind of sad at the same time. Because you think about what Christians have had to deal with over the course of Christendom. And you think about what so many Christians even today, right now, have to deal with in other areas of the world, in other societies. And you go, what we have to deal with is absolutely nothing. When I hear people talk about the oppression of Christians in our nation just because someone disagrees with them, I sit there and think, I mean, shoot, you don't even have to go to, like, obscure nations. You can go to Europe where it's, like, wholly a secularized, like, post-Christian society in many areas, at least, like, in Western Europe. And in those areas, I mean, you try popping up and, you know, uh, that, that was something I remember is a big stink years ago. where like, I think in France at one point they were trying to pass some law that said that, like, if you wore a cross around your neck that it could be somehow viewed as, as like – I, and I won't say hate speech, but like pro- illegal proselytizing or something. Cause it was a big deal that a lot of like the, the the people in religious life, like the monks and nuns and everything, were going to be subject to it as well. Like that, you could argue maybe as a little bit more repression, just because somebody said like, "Hey, maybe you can't stand up in the public school system and go sit here and tell all of these children who are listening to you as a teacher, like you." Must dedicate your life to Jesus Christ, like just because somebody's saying you can 't do that like that 's not oppression that 's just means you live in a system that goes like yeah we don 't recognize your God. These are two different things it 's almost like we feel like if the if the world which is lost that doesn 't acknowledge Christ as the king of their lives you know acts like jesus isn 't the king of their lives, then we want to act like we 're oppressed. Um, And in some ways, it almost makes me wonder if the real reason why so many Christians today have taken the stance to say that, you know, well, we're being held down is because for generations and generations, when a lot of our, uh, you know, kind of the moral code, so to speak – of society was based on you know loosely Christian values in some way, shape, and form, if Christians kind of got lazy, like we didn't have to live different. We didn't have to explain why we had a different set of values. So we got very comfortable having a society do our work for us in being different. But now, we actually have to put up or shut up. Now we actually have to be willing to live on our own as Christians boldly in a world that doesn't necessarily agree with us, and yet still boldly proclaim the same truth that we did before. It's just that you know now we have to actually acknowledge, and 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 we have to actually, uh, you know, meet the expectation of what Christ has called us to do. I remember one time hearing a a missionary that was actually somebody from another country who made the comment and said, you know, sometimes I come to the U.S. and I feel like I'm having to be just as much of a missionary as some of the people that a lot of you have sent over to my nation because, you know, over my nation, it's an issue of people who don't – they, they don't they don't don 't know Christ they, they may have legitimately have never heard about Christ, and over here, I come here and everybody has heard of christ it 's just everybody is so numb to it, and even people inside the church just seem so disaffected that you know they they, they, they 've lost their bite you know they 've lost that saltiness that we see talked about in the scriptures, and so because of that it 's like I come over here and I see churches full of Christians but nobody who knows Jesus. And, and I always remember that stuck with me because I was like, that's a very profound point. And it's also a very bold statement for somebody coming from one of these other nations over here because typically you think of these individuals are usually coming over here to try to get patrons and people to donate to their things. So to come over here and start questioning the veracity of how much we want to, uh, how dedicated we are to our faith is a bold statement, but just kind of shows the type of spirit that he had. So as I was sitting here putting together this message, for some reason, I kept thinking about these Christian movies. And I hate Christian movies. And I don't mean I hate Christians. I hate Christian movies. Um, some of them are good. Some of them. It's kind of like watching, you know, going through it and scrolling through Netflix. You know, there's for every one good show or movie there's like a hundred bad ones and that's kind of how Christian movies are you know there's a lot of them that people say like oh you're supposed to like this because this is the Christian team they're all wearing the Christian jerseys so we're supposed to root for this this is a good movie and when I think of this the the quintessential bad Christian movie I feel like and I don't know if this is a hot take or not is I don't like the God's Not Dead movies I don't think they're good Um, now the first one is okay Uh, but the second one in particular, if you get a chance and you go look at the beginning of the home church video, you'll see, like, I actually play the trailer of it and, you know, we kind of point out some things in real time. Uh, the first thing I thought was kind of funny, uh, was that, uh, when the trailer first opens up, it shows all the people protesting in front of something that looks like a Capitol building and they're all carrying signs and everything. And I said, huh, it kind of looks like a Trump rally in January. Um... And because uh, they were all like getting in close, uh, Meredith told me I shouldn't say that because you didn't know if that made people mad. But I, th- I thought it was funny, and nobody laughed, so maybe it wasn't. Um, but uh, you know, as you're going through and you're looking at this, what you can notice is how they, how uh, you know, they set everything up so it's that you know the Christians are these these horribly oppressed individuals just wanting people to know about Jesus Christ, and then you have the bad guy. The quintessential of all evil, the Darth Vader of the movie, the ACLU lawyer, um, which for me is just like the best like contemporary Christian trope that the ACL lawyer is the Darth Vader in the movie, and you know sitting here talking about how he hates Christians and all that, and 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 they, there's there's a line in there where one of the people that's on the good guy side um, makes the comment and says, you know, we have to stand up for ourselves or this will lead to persecution everywhere. And there's this desire to rush towards the idea of saying that we're persecuted because somebody said, don't talk about Jesus. As if that shocked them that a world that doesn't recognize Jesus Christ as their king would say hey don't talk about how Jesus is your is is the solution to everything because the world has other ways of doing things the the world doesn't understand they haven't experienced Christ so they haven't experienced grace they haven't experienced the blessings of Jesus Christ and so a lot of Christians seem to have this weird idea that despite having never experienced those things they should somehow just subscribe to how we see the world and that's simply not the way it works and i think that this mentality actually has a very tangible impact on how we interact with other people and how we share our own faith because you see when we start taking the god's not dead to view of the world um where you know good christian people like melissa joan hart who i know as, as most of the or as sabrina the teenage witch um, which is why it's weird that she's a christian in this movie uh, when i i you see these things were like the good Christian people like Moltshuden Hart are being oppressed by like the evil secular world then it sets up this dichotomy where the world is the enemy and I don't think that's quite right. I don't think that's really scripturally supported. Certainly the world has been corrupted. Certainly the things that live of the world and live unto the world are not good and are not things we should do. But to say that the lost world is the enemy, I think, runs the serious danger of isolating people out of the, the election pool, so to speak, of people we're willing to speak to about Jesus Christ. In this movie, you look at the ACL, uh, ACLU lawyer and he's not the individual that you're supposed to go and have compassion for. He's the individual you're supposed to go, oh, he's the bad guy. And even at the end, you know, the whole movie ends by there being like this court case and they end up like saying like, oh, Melissa Joan Hart, uh, a teenage witch, is perfectly innocent and she won the court case and then some reporter runs out of the courtroom and like, yells out to all of the not-a-Trump rally people gathered outside of the courtroom, and says, like, God's not dead! And then they start playing the music in the background, going, God's not dead, he's surely alive. And that's the whole thing. And we're all supposed to go, yeah, the bad guys were, were defeated. And in that scene, I look at that and go... Isn't that ACLU lawyer exactly the person you should be witnessing to? Aren't all those people on the other side of that courtroom who are upset that they lost their court case, those aren't the enemies? That's the mission field. Those are the people we should be feeling compassion for. And this is the reason why I think it becomes so dangerous to take this attitude that people who live unto the world are in and of themselves the enemy. Because I would say this, that lawyer in the movie, that's the mission. That politician who's pushing some law that we think is is horrible and sinful, that's the mission. You know, the person who's speaking out actively against Christianity, that person is is the mission. The Apostle Paul, when he was persecuting Christians, was the mission. This is why Christ himself showed himself to Paul so that he could turn his life around. So we have to be careful not to start seeing these people as the enemy. And I think this is something that we see supported when we look at the scriptural record. We can look in uh, Matthew 17, uh, verse 24 through 27, and this is how we see Jesus talk about these these individuals who maybe don't see uh, eye to eye with his followers. This is Matthew 17, verses 24 through 27. When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the temple tax approached Peter and said, "'Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax?' Yes, Peter said. When he went into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. What do you think, Simon? From whom do earthly kings collect tariffs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? From strangers, Peter said. Then the sons are free, Jesus told him. But so we won't offend them, go to the sea, cast in a fish hook, and take the first fish that you catch. When you open its mouth, you'll find a coin, take it, and give it to them for free, Uh, give it to them for me and you. Now, when you look at this, what's fascinating here is you have the forces of the world. You have the people who are collecting the temple tax. And normally you would expect Jesus to say something, you know, profound and all that and say, like, I am, you know, the temple represents, you know, man's version of me, but I am me, or something like that. You know, but in fact, what you see Jesus doing is he's he's drawing a distinction that there's not, it's not a matter of them and us, or of, of friends and enemies. It's a matter of looking at it, and he describes this as sons and strangers. That, you know, a tax is collected from strangers. And he's setting up this very clear uh, distinction between individuals who follow him and individuals who maybe may be viewed as trying to impose worldly rules on him as just simply people who are strangers. They're people who don't belong as a part of the camp, or at least don't belong as a part of the camp yet. So it's not a matter of these are my oppressors. That we need to actively resist. If anything, it's the exact opposite. In verse 27, it says, But so we won't offend them, go to the sea, cast in a fish hook, and take uh, blah, 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 blah. So you end up seeing that there's almost this sense of saying, Don't offend them. How different is that than the way that we see the cultural expression of, you know, a lot of like Christians versus the unchristian world? That so many people want to sit here and say, No, we need to fight in the courts. You know exactly what was in that movie trailer. We need to make certain that we are not persecuted and other Christians are not persecuted. So we need to fight and stand up for ourselves. But in fact, what you see Christ doing is looking here and saying, they're strangers, they don't belong to the family. Let's. So we don't offend him. Let's go do this. Because the reality is by paying that tax, he wasn't sitting here doing anything that stood, you know, against his own faith and against his own religion. And I think this is something we're in our own lives and in our own society and culture. We have to be careful whenever we feel like somebody is asking us to do something that may not be the traditional Christian way of doing things. Of looking at ourselves, looking at what the world is asking us to do and seriously questioning ourselves to say – are they really telling us to do something that goes against what we feel Christ has called us to do? So I guess what I'm trying to say is that if we find ourselves somewhere and the rest of the world says, hey, don't talk about Jesus in this circumstance, is this something where they are persecuting us? Or is this something where it's this is just the resistance that we should expect dealing with the world. Don't fight the system. Find the people that God has given us and reach out to them in whatever way you can. And yes, at a certain point in time, things certainly get to the point where, you know, if, if somehow we find ourselves in a world where the government, where the system, the authorities are coming down and trying to silence us and keep us from showing love and compassion to other individuals and all that, then certainly at some point in time, we have to acknowledge that Christ is the one who has put the ruling authorities in in their place. But... Until that point comes, if it's just a matter of disagreements and it's a matter of we have to do things in a different way where we have to, you know, maybe be willing to sacrifice some of our cultural comforts of the way that we've done things for generations, we need to be willing to do that. Sometimes that means that the church needs to change. Sometimes that means that ministries need to change. Sometimes it means that our relationship to, to how, how we interact with each other and how we interact with, with programs and organizations need to change. And that's all necessary. It's all fine. Christians have been changing for centuries and centuries and centuries. But a lot of individuals want to almost assert that simply because the world is imposing obstacles in our way that force us to change that we're being oppressed and therefore we have these enemies around us. We shouldn't look at individuals as hostile enemies surrounding us. We should look at them as people that we have compassion for, that we have sorrow for. You know, and it's funny that even if we were to look at these individuals around us, politicians, community leaders, uh, social influencers, movie star, whatever you want to talk about, even if we were to look at them as enemies, then we have to acknowledge that these are clearly – like Christ would not look at these people and say like, oh, you need to actively fight these people. You know, something we've heard many times before, so Matthew earlier on, Matthew 5, verse uh, 43 through 48. We end up saying this. You have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he caused his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You can see this exhortation that Christ is giving here to say that even if you were to look at these individuals as people who get in your way, they're not individuals to be fought against. They're individuals to have a sense of love and compassion for. Because if you think about the cost of what they're really living out, they're living out a life that is separated from the God who can carry them through anything. They're living separation from a God who wants to freely offer them grace and forgiveness for any sin in their lives. These aren't individuals that we should be angry with. These are individuals that we should be sorrowful for, that we should be praying for continually, that we should want to show the exact same love and compassion for the same way we would some beggar on the side of the street. These are individuals that we want to love, and this is exactly what we see Christ actually exemplifying. And it's funny that when you look at the Bible, you actually only see uh, a couple instances of where Christ or the apostles talk about people as enemies, people who actually need to be confronted and dealt with, and ironically, it's not the people out there, who are in D.C. or in Richmond or in Hollywood, who are standing against Christ, the people described as the enemies are the people inside the church who simply refuse to do what Christ has called them to do. You can look at James four verses one through four, and you end up saying this: What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? That's really important because specifically James is talking about the people inside the church, people who call themselves a part of the body. Of Christ in verse two, you deserve and you do not have you murder and covet and cannot obtain you fight and wage war you you do not have because you do not ask you ask and don 't receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may <clears throat> So that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. So what you actually end up seeing here is a far harsher rebuke of individuals who claim to be a part of the body of Christ and yet still turn to the world versus people who just simply are living without Christ. This last week, I saw a Facebook post from somebody that was an acquaintance from high school, and they had posted something where they were talking about, It's very clear that they had had some sort of confrontation with somebody, where they were talking with individuals that were just kind of, just random individuals, you know, uh, that were at some kind of, uh, you know, some kind of event that she was at, and... She tried telling them about like, hey, you know, I don't really agree with drinking and doing drugs and extramarital sex and all that because these are all things that Jesus doesn't want you to do. So you need to turn away from all those things. And these individuals turned around and kind of like blew her off and she was upset and you know that 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 they were getting mad at her because she said all i'm trying to do is to help you and show you that there's a better life than what you're enjoying right now so don't get mad at me just because i'm telling you not to do these things i'm telling you not to do these things because i want you to have eternal life and in general i have a very big like don't get get into fights on facebook like personal policy on things um so what what I did do is I was looking at this and I was just like this teachable moment here. This is the, kind of that, that that Pastor Joseph nerve I guess got tweaked, and so I said all I would throw out there is that God is far more concerned that there are individuals who have hearts that legitimately torn towards Him than He is people who try to mimic the behavior that look like righteousness. So if there's an individual who goes their entire life and they remain entirely celibate and they never touch a drop of alcohol and they never do any drugs at all and they end up dying without knowing Jesus Christ they are still just as guilty as sin as any other individual However, if there's an individual who goes their entire life and they struggle with temptation and they struggle with addiction and they struggle with all these different things in their lives, these vices that maybe they enjoyed in a past life and they struggle with these things and they never totally kick the habit, but they die knowing that God is the ruler of their lives and that they sincerely desire a closer relationship with their Creator, that is the individual who is justified. And this is why we see it written in the Bible time and time again. And I desire mercy and not sacrifice. God is far more concerned with what we see in the scriptures with individuals who have somehow tricked themselves into thinking that they're following him while still continuing to, to relish in the things of this world. Not necessarily because of the evilness of the act itself, but because it shows a heart that is divided. It shows a heart that on the one hand says it wants to pursue Christ, but at the same time also wants to pursue the world. And this is where we see right here exactly what James is talking about. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? We cannot be a friend with God and then be an enemy with God at the same time. We have to choose. If somebody simply doesn't belong Then they sin out of their own ignorance, and their sin is really no greater than ours is. They simply don't have the glory and the blessing and the peace of knowing grace through Jesus Christ. If somebody, on the other hand, knows what that peace is, and they know what that blessing is, and they simply choose to push it away, then that is a far different thing. So what we end up seeing is that the world around us is not actually the enemy. In fact, the world around us is something we should have sympathy for, something that we should be sorrowful for, and it should drive us towards wanting to reach out to them more aggressively, towards wanting to reach out to them more with, with more energy and, and more stubbornly to, to try to show them that there is a better way, not because we're mad at them or we have to defeat them, but because we love them and we want them to enjoy a piece of what we have. What we end up seeing Paul talk about later on is that the only thing that's truly the enemy is death. He ends up saying in 1 Corinthians 15, 26, the last enemy to be abolished is death. So we know who the enemy is. The enemy is the thing that wants to rip people away from the creator. We're here to try to bring people closer to the creator because after all, that is what Christ wants. Christ wants individuals to be reconciled back with him. We can see Christ himself exemplifying this same type of attitude in the story of his own crucifixion. Not just talking about the the criminal that was hanging next to him that that Christ looked at and said was, was justified this day even though he had just come to know Christ in that moment right there. But also we can see all throughout christ's pathway leading up to golgotha we can see christ looking at these individuals that we today would look at as oppressors and instead looking at these individuals with compassionate eyes wanting them to to have that grace and have that forgiveness in luke 23 verses 33 through 34 we end up seeing this interaction right here when they arrived at the place called the skull they crucified him and along with the other criminals one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. Christ, as he was hanging on a cross in a situation in which very few, if any of us, will ever have to deal with that level of oppression, even then looks at these individuals and has sympathetic eyes for them and says, God, forgive them for they don't know what they do. He could have done many things. He could have sat here and, you know, showed them exactly who he was. He could have put his full glory on display in that moment and taken himself off of that cross. But yet, this was an act that wasn't done in the face of an enemy. This was an act that was done out of necessity for people that he looked around him and that he had pity for. And it paints this kind of amazing picture of Christ on the cross that. As he's sitting on the cross, sometimes we think of the crowds yelling at him and cursing at him and mocking him. We tend to think it's Jesus and he's staring down the enemy. You know, almost as some kind of like military martyr hanging on the cross as he stares the enemy in the face and says, No, I'm still going to do this out of my love. And in fact, you actually have the picture of Christ hanging on the cross and seeing all of these people. And as he's hanging there, having pity on them. In a moment where he was suffering and in a moment where he's hanging on a cross, having the life drained out of him, he looks at all of these individuals and sees the reason why he's doing what he's doing in front of him. It's a very different perspective on the world from what a lot of people like to portray at us. So you can see the world around us is not the enemy. The world around us is the opportunity. And it is, it is the mission field that God has given us to be able to reach out and to bring more people into the fold so that they too can know the love of Christ so how do we actually go about checking ourselves and changing our mentality so that we can have this outlook on the rest of the world that leads to looking at at the lost as, as people that, that we have pity for that we want to reach out to not individuals who are enemies and oppressors well I have kind of three things for you so my, my good preacherism of the day is I got three things for you because that's how preachers do it so Uh, The first thing is that we have to adopt a mercy mentality. So what I mean by that is as we look at individuals who we think are reaching out to oppress us, we have to look at these individuals and instead say these are not individuals who want to oppress us. These are individuals who need our sympathy. They're individuals that we have a passion to reach out to, to be loving to, to be compassionate to, regardless of how they treat us because there's a sense of mercy we need to have on them. They act the way they do because they don't don't know there's a better way. The second thing, we need to take a glory perspective. We need to understand that what we're dealing with in the here and now is not the glory that we're after. There may be victories that other people enjoy in the short term that seem very, very better, that seem like things that are defeats for us. But we have to understand that the victory that we are after is an eternal victory that is this glory perspective that reaches out into eternity. We are fighting for something that is bigger than the here and now, which is part of the reason why we can't view the world in and of itself as the enemy the world is simply the prize that, that evil that sin tries to steal away The victory that we're after is the reconciliation of this creator to his creation, the world, which we know is going to happen. It's been laid out. It's been prophesied in Revelation. We know the end of the story. So with this glory perspective, we're able to go in and no matter how many temporary defeats we feel like we may suffer, we know that they're only temporary defeats and they're fleeting. Eventually, we're on the winning side. The last thing here, we have a mercy mentality, we take a glory perspective, and the last thing is we have to work with selfless intent. So as we're sitting here, we're doing the work that we think God has called us to do. We have to understand that we are not doing this for ourselves. We're not doing it for our own sense of pride. We're not doing it for our own reputation. We're doing these things because it is something that God has called us to do, and it's something that helps other individuals. That's the attitude we want to adopt. Once we start realizing that we're not after any kind of personal victory or prize or reward on our own, all of a sudden, what can oppressors do? What can obstacles thrown in your way actually accomplish? There's nothing they can take away from you because you're not after anything for yourself. They are the ones who entirely benefit from what you're doing. If they stand in your way, they don't rob you of anything. They're only robbing themselves. So why would you be upset about that? <clears throat> the only other thing they could possibly rob would be God, and God's God's not going to be denied. So once you take that kind of idea that everything that I do, the words I say and the activities I take on, and the, 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 the things I start getting involved in are based on this entirely selfless intent, then all of a sudden nothing can really impress you this is the reason why i think it starts making a lot of sense that jesus looks at the world and says this isn't the enemy because an enemy would imply that somehow they can do something to attack you but there's nothing the world can do because everything that we do we do out of love for them we do it understanding that the glory has already been achieved and we're just working towards the end point point. And we're not in it for ourselves. There's nothing that we're seeking to get out of it. We just want to be a part of the trip of what God is God is laying out. And so with that, why would we look at the rest of the world as being an enemy who's actively trying to oppress us? That's not what this is all about. The world is the mission field. And because of that, that's how we want to look at individuals who don't know Christ and are accepted to it. That's how we want to view people who want to actively resist us, and that's how we want to view people who are just simply skeptical. If they don't want it, they don't want it. That's kind of on them. But we shouldn't trick ourselves into thinking we're some kind of oppressed class. Because if we trick ourselves into thinking that you know we are being persecuted simply because things aren't easy for us, then we're kind of missing the whole point of why we need God with us. It's going to take God in our lives in order to do what he's called us to do. That's kind of the whole point of why we're here. It's the whole point of why Christ came. It's the whole reason why he told us that we need to go out and make disciples of the nations. Is because we need Christ and everybody needs Christ. That's what it's all about. And so as we check our interactions with the rest of the world, we need to seriously have a, a, a shift in how we look at these people. Do we look at them as their enemies that need to be conquered? Or do we have compassion on the world around us? And then when we look at our reaction to the rest of the world, does it mimic somebody who is gnashing out at uh, some kind of oppressive force? Or does it reflect the gentle and the caring and the loving heart of Christ that has sympathy on individuals who even seek to crucify him? Let's pray. father god we know that there's so many individuals in our in our community in our society that that are hurting people who are trying to go about their own way out of their own ignorance of not knowing you god we pray that as we come in contact with people who who may not agree with us and people who may tell us that the way that that we see things the things that we believe are backwards and stupid we just pray that you would help to give us the patience that you would help to give us the the softened hearts to look at these individuals not as enemies or not to be uh uh, people to be overrun but instead that we would see these as individuals who are lost individuals who need you help us to to be able to have a different view on the world one that doesn't look at ourselves as constantly being attacked but yet sees ourselves as what we are people who already know you the true victory and in turn look at the rest of the world with eyes that have compassion with eyes that sincerely want to to help these individuals to know the blessing of what it means to have a relationship with you god we we thank you so much for what you have already revealed to us, and in your Son, and 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 continually throughout our day to day lives. We just pray that you would give us the words, and give us the opportunity, and give us the uh, give us give us the energy and the motivation to be able to to uh, lash out at opportunities, to be able to show people what it means to have a relationship with their Creator. God, we love you so much, and we just we just look at the rest of the world around us and instead of seeing it as something that's scary and frightening, it just reminds us of exactly how good you've been to us and how much we enjoy the peace that we have in your Son. God, we pray these things in your Son's precious holy name. Amen.